0: Was I surprised that the 2018-19 NBA season ended like this? Your 2019
1: NBA champions, the Toronto Raptors.
0: Well, not so much. I thought the Raptors could win an NBA championship after the Kawhi Leonard bounce, 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 bounce in in Game 7 against the Sixers. But what surprised me was what followed going into the 2020 season.
2: Kevin Durant posting a photo of himself following surgery earlier this morning and confirming what was speculated Monday night. Quote, I did rupture my Achilles, surgery was today and it was a success. Uh, meanwhile, a story that is getting a lot of uh, news on the internet. kind of scrapping the uh, broadcast of NBA games over the Houston Rockets GM tweet.
0: And here's the tweet that triggered the controversy. The general manager of Houston Rockets, Daryl Morey, posted this image last Friday. It was captioned fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong. Zion Williamson who undergoes the knee surgery, he'll miss the first six to eight weeks of the season.
3: Uh, Steph Curry broke his left hand on a hard fall.
0: And one of the most influential leaders in sports history has died.
2: The NBA said former Commissioner David Stern died this New Year's Day from a brain hemorrhage. Breaking news in this Sunday afternoon. Five-time NBA champion, former league MVP Kobe Bryant died earlier this afternoon in Los Angeles in a helicopter crash news reports are just coming in among multiple victims Kobe Bryant on that helicopter
4: as we all know the NBA at the best of times is constantly filled with drama but this year was heavy it was different and still gave us some of the best storylines in sports but not even the reality shows that I love came close to the drama we saw on the court this is a script that Andy Cohen would not want to see But what we've seen over the last six months, it's culminated to where we are today.
0: The NBA suspended its season after a player on the Utah Jazz tested positive for coronavirus. I repeat, the NBA said it would use the hiatus to figure out next steps. This astounding and unprecedented story continues to evolve. So what's next? There's certainly speculation. Could they pick up games again? Could they go right to the playoffs? Or in fact, is the season over? They were one of the first major sports leagues to shut down, but could they be one of the first to start up?
4: Best-selling author and ESPN NBA reporter Brian Windhorst might be able to help us navigate all of this and figure that out. I'm Donovan Bennett.
0: And I'm Richard Deitch. And this is the Sports on Pause podcast.
4: So Brian Windhorst starts us off on the sports on pause podcast who's been covering all things nba even though the league itself is on pause gone from being the beat reporter of all things lebron james to covering the league at a high level for espn and now you're covering the fact that the league isn't playing at a high level and that means you're also covering and watching what is or isn't happening in china how related or unrelated are Are the decisions being made around the CBA to what we may see happen to the NBA?
2: I don't know for sure. I suspect they're going to be end up being proven to be heavily related. The thing about it is, is that I, cause you know, do I prefer to be using China as a guide? No, because they're very opaque And their processes are purposely vague, but I don't have a choice of 13 countries I can use. Um, And, you know, even though there are sports going on in a couple other Asian countries, Taiwan has a basketball league going on. South Korea has a baseball league. The best comparison tool is the CBA, the Chinese Basketball Association. Um, I'm spending a lot of time talking to people in China to try to understand what their challenges and their hurdles are because they're ahead of us. And, uh, It's very hard to know how those will apply, but they have not been able to get over the finish line. And unfortunately, just this week, have had to delay for a third or fourth time, and they're now looking at July after pausing in January. And it's disheartening, but it's important for us to learn from, or at least try to learn from.
0: Brian, you mentioned the challenges that the Chinese Basketball Association had what specifically were the biggest challenges that they had to face?
2: I think this, their hurdle is exactly the same as what our hurdle is going to be, and that is testing. Even though from a testing standpoint, they are way ahead of us. In China now, in Wuhan, for example, you can go to a testing center and get a swab in your throat and a blood test to get the two tests that we have right now for COVID, which is, do you have the virus? Do you have active virus? Or B, did you have the virus, and do you now have antibodies? You can get those tests in China uh, relatively easily now, whereas you can't get them here. But even though they have those tests, they still have not gotten to a point where the government is comfortable saying that sports can go forward. And a big part of that is asymptomatic carriers. I've had to educate myself on all of this stuff. And the other part, which really hasn't become an issue in this country yet because we, frankly we don't have enough testing for it to be an issue is false negatives false negatives have been a big thing that the chinese have learned about and it's one of the things that petrifies uh, leagues um because you know we saw what it, what has happened in these small communities, whether they're nursing homes or the church in Korea, you know, it just really scares people. If you let somebody get through your net and we don't have a great net yet. And so I'm very hopeful, but the struggles in China, I believe will be struggles that we have here too.
4: In China, your reporting was telling us that they were hoping to have two locations where they played games and quarantined, Players accordingly, and have maybe a bit of a round robin type situation. Even if you did that in the NBA, let's say in Las Vegas, where summer league takes place, given the amount of support staff that comes with the business that is the NBA, and the amount of other peoples that would need to be involved and thus quarantined, people who cook food and change rooms and drive the players to and from practices and arena, is that something that would have been viable in North America the way it has been, or was hoping to be in China.
2: That's why we really needed to watch them to find out. Uh, And we still may end up watching them. We may not be active uh, by July. Hopefully, we will be. That was one of the reasons why it was important to watch them. You know, the the two cities that they had selected, they had selected a city in the southern part of the country called Dongwan, which is a city of 7 million people, which by Chinese standards is sort of a third level city, but it did not have a large outbreak in that particular city. And another city in the northeast part of the country, very close to the border, not the border, but the entryway for Korea and and Japan. A lot of people came in through um, that city, Qingdao, and that city, as a result, had experts Uh, as much as you can be an expert in the short amount of time, expert levels of quarantining. They really, really had perfected quarantining people. And that's why they selected those two cities. These are not cities that are uh, among the bigger or uh, sort of more popular cities in China. They were not going to go to Shanghai or Beijing or Shenzhen. Um, They were going to go to these other cities. And so a big part of it was going to be in choosing these cities Could that be instructive? You know, a lot of people have defaulted to Las Vegas, for example, making a big assumption because the NBA runs big events there. But the reality is it may not, Las Vegas may not be the best decision. Sioux Falls, South Dakota might have been a better choice. We just don't know. And that's one of the reasons why the Chinese were going to instruct us and, um, And I really do think the biggest challenge here is time. And a lot of people think that it's time because you need time for a vaccine or you need time for testing. One of the reasons why you need time is to gather data and to learn, to learn whether bubbles can work. And that's one of the things that is so much of a challenge that the NBA in particular is is going to run out of at some point.
0: One of the interesting challenges, obviously, that all these leagues face are multiple contingency plans that may or may not work. We've heard from the NBA, the city of Las Vegas, we've heard from the NHL perhaps doing something in South Dakota. Have you heard in terms of your just discussions with the NBA, any possibility that there would be a contingency plan where teams would be broken up among two different sites? Or has everything you've heard, at least in terms of the best hypothetical, placing everyone under some kind of quarantine or bubble in one singular city.
2: You know what, Richard, in talking to the NBA, they're not talking about any of those plans right now. Now I can take an educated guess that those are in process and that they're working on it. And there's certainly when you talk to teams, the teams have started doing some leg work and started talking about it. The teams also have been doing trying to do some leg work and what it would look like to get back to basketball. But the NBA has been pretty ironclad at the league level in really not trying to get ahead of themselves. And I think that's probably pretty smart because – Things are changing so fast. You know, just think of the way we saw things on March fifteenth versus April first. Now April fifteenth. Think of how we've just been educated in the last month. The world may look a lot different on May fifteenth or June first when the NBA has to make this decision. And so, um, I think that they've restrained themselves from trying to go forward to anything, at least from what I've been able to glean um, to my ears.
4: Mentioned locations and. Orlando has been a location for the WWE, not because of the way they're handling the pandemic, because they've been deemed a essential service in Florida. Whenever this happens, governments locally will have to be involved. In terms of Adam Silver now being on a committee put together by Donald Trump, what is the significance of that and what impact could that have? I
2: think all the sports commissioners recognize that they are going to need federal and local support from a political standpoint, which is why they are absolutely uh, trying to get involved with with Trump. I think it's an absolutely smart thing to do. Um, You want to be on his side on this because it's clear if you're not on his side, you you may not have a clear pathway, but it's exactly correct. It's not just what they say in Washington. It's what they're going to say at the local level. And one thing that I think is really, really important that this is getting missed by media outlets that I feel like should know better. The difference between the return of sports and the return of mass gatherings, I can't believe the mistake that people are making connecting those two things. Those two things are very, very different. Even just yesterday, we had the mayor of Los Angeles, Eric Garcetti, come out and say,
3: It's difficult to imagine us getting together in the thousands anytime soon So I think we should be prepared for that this year. I think we all have never wanted science to work so quickly. But until there's either a vaccine, some sort of pharmaceutical intervention, um, or herd immunity, uh, the science is the science. And public health officials have been very clear. We've got many, many miles to walk before we're going to be back in those environments. But I hope we can perhaps watch sporting events um, without audiences on TV, of course, listen to concerts as we've been doing. So I
4: just want to be precise, big concerts, in LA, or Major League Baseball, or NFL football, or basketball, none of that's gonna happen until 2021 from your perspective in LA?
3: It would be very difficult to see that. If if there's something that happens, of course, and public health officials say, green light, but I think people have to think about it this way. It's not a, a mayor bringing bad news about these things. These have been immensely difficult decisions uh, to make psychologically, but I've always been very clear of mind. We get together and hundreds of people come down with coronavirus, Here in Los Angeles, we might only have 5%, 10% of people who have come down with COVID-19 by the fall. That means that 95%, 90% of us still could get that and it still could spread rapidly. So nothing I've heard would indicate that we would be in those large thousands of people gathering anytime soon and probably not for the rest of this year.
2: And I saw headlines in the LA Times saying that meant there was not going to be a Dodgers season. We saw this with Toronto, in fact, when the mayor of Toronto, I think it was the mayor, maybe it was the premier of, uh, of Ontario, saying that there will be no events through the end of June. And that was a few weeks ago. We'll look at
0: further limiting non-essential gatherings down from 50 people to five people. If approved, this will come into effect tonight. Essential businesses, child care facilities, and families with more than five people will be exempt. And people thought, oh my
2: God, well, there's, you know, forget about the Raptors and Blue Jays. Well, that's not what that meant. Um, that means two totally different things. Mass gatherings were the first things to be taken away. San Francisco said no major mass gatherings. I can't remember what it was. It was 500 was the first one. That was gone before anybody tested positive, before Rudy Gobert. That's probably going to be the last to return. So now, if your retort to that is, well, look, we don't want to play football in an empty stadium. We can't play college football, which is you know, designed for student athletes, with the school is closed, that's a fair point, and uh, that's fine. But if, if if you're talking about sports, you have to draw a line. So, like I've heard people say, for example, they floated the concept of, uh, well, you know, the NBA could come back and play in the Raleigh-Durham area, and they could play at those three colleges. They could play at Duke. They could play at NC State. They could play at Chapel Hill. There's three great arenas there. It'll be fantastic. And I say you are looking at this the wrong way. (laughs) This is not about what arenas you need. You don't need arenas. You need basketball courts. You need football fields. You don't need empty seats. And so that's one of the things that I don't know if everybody is completely understanding yet.
0: Brian, one of the things that um, is uh, front and center as we discuss this with you is the NFL draft and all the preparations that that league is going through. To put that on, including obviously your network, which is a big part of this. What have you heard about the NBA draft? And in your discussions with the NBA, have they sort of thought about the prospect of how they might do their draft with the blueprint that's now in front of them, given the NFL?
2: I believe that the combine still proceeded. That went on. Um, the NBA is not going to be able to have its combine, at least as scheduled in May. Um, And that, teams are worried about being out of position. One of the things that has happened is the league has set forth a rule that you can only spend four hours talking to a prospect, almost like an NCAA rule uh, virtually. And the reason that they do that is because one of the things that happens in the N- NBA draft is that agents and players try to direct themselves to teams. They won't work out for certain teams. They won't give their medical uh, history to certain teams. They try to. Some teams will give promises to players, and then they will not take a call or answer a text message from anybody else to try to gear themselves to that team. And what the NBA was seeing is that this can be cannibalized on this virtually too. You could just say, well, I'm not doing any calls with any of these teams. I'm only going to talk to Team X. Um, and and I'm going to give them all my information so that they'll select me. And so that's one of the challenges. The NBA has challenges with that in normal times. It's really difficult in these times where the level of access is so limited. Uh, without a combine, without the ability to put you know dozens of players through a universal physical, as a good example, it's a real issue. And it'll be really interesting to see if the draft, which I'm sure will be delayed, if there's any sort of universal rules to to try to get around this. Uh, the medical thing is a real issue. E- e- people want to know what what is holding back one and done being installed in the NBA game. The answer is the medicals. The NBA teams say, if, we, if you want us to do one and done to the Players Association, then you have to give all the medicals to us on every player. A player can't get a well physical and only give it to this team and not give it to anybody else. And the union, frankly, has just not been willing to do that, and it's this big stumbling block um, in baseball, when they negotiated their gap deal, where they said, okay, here's what we're going to do with the delayed season, they were able to get draft changes in that the owners have been trying to get in for years, specifically limiting of the draft uh, to just five rounds. Who knows? Maybe this negotiation on the changes to the draft will enable big changes that people have been waiting for years to come to, but I expect there to be a lot of wrangling because teams feel like there could be more disadvantage than usual with the
4: current situation. The NBA is a player's league. And when we talk about these hypothetical quarantine situations, I just look at the top players and their different motivations. Maybe LeBron James might be willing to stay in a hotel for a couple of months away from his family as he chases another ring in his legacy but is Steph Curry going to leave his three children to play out whatever's left in the Warriors season in this gap year? What have you heard from players in terms of their appetite to maybe try and do something out of the ordinary to finish the season?
2: I think it's going to vary by team maybe and by player. I mean, certainly the Milwaukee Bucks and LA Lakers are probably a little bit more motivated to do this than say, you know, just guessing the Atlanta Hawks. Um, And let's not forget that we had a member of the NBA family, uh, the mother of one of the NBA players pass away due to coronavirus within the last week, Carl Anthony Towns' mother. If I were an NBA player, I'd be very concerned about breaking the social distancing rules and potentially bringing it back to my family, whether it was in the bubble or outside the bubble. I mean, these are real things. And you know, I think you get 100 people together, you're going to have a hard time agreeing on anything. You know, Maybe you could, could agree on the day of the week, but I don't even know if you could agree on the weather. And so it's going to be hard. And, and one of the reasons that China was interesting is they don't have a players association in China. They can just tell the players, look, you're going to report to this dormitory and you're going to be there for six weeks. And if you don't want to come, then you don't get paid and you can't come back to the league next year. The NBA will have to negotiate with its players and forming that alliance is going to be a challenge for sure. And it's just another one of the hurdles. Um, I mean, I, I see some optimism coming back that the leagues are going to happen. And I hope that that is true. But every avenue that I have gone down, I have found nothing but more bumps in the road uh, that would have to be negotiated. And you have just brought up a classic
4: one that is going to be front and center. I remember your reporting a couple years ago about the CBA and how it would be impacted based on how many games the Warriors played in the playoffs or didn't play in the playoffs as they ran through them. That's how much of an impact that sole franchise had on the bottom line of the rest of the league. Now we may not have a playoffs at all. What is the fiscal implication on the league moving forward if we don't have games and don't finish out the regular season?
2: See, this is one of these, this is one of these topics that is really, really important, but is so dense that it can be hard for the average fan to understand. But you know, the players and the and the owners split everything 50-50. Most of the time we're talking about profits. We made a dollar as a league, I get 50 cents, you get 50 cents. So what's happened with the NBA here is they're going through the season expecting to make a dollar. And they're not going to make a dollar. They may only make 75 cents. Okay. Now, if you're the players and your contracts call for 50 cents and you say, well, listen, you pay me my contract. I get my 50 cents. The owners say, wait a minute, you still owe us that other quarter. So how are we going to take care of this? And the thing that the owners don't want to happen and the players shouldn't want to happen, in my opinion, is for the quarter to be in an IOU for next season. Because when that happens, all of a sudden, you're dealing with a potential huge change to the dynamics of the salary cap. Remember a few years ago when we had that salary cap spike, and it caused all kinds of, quote, unintended consequences. Well, if you don't handle this correctly, you could have a salary cap plunge. And then let's say you have a somewhat normal 2020, 2021 season, and things go back up. and Then you have a spike that shoots way back up again. And now you've got this peak and valley situation that is going to wreck all kinds of teams planning and stuff like that. So the owners have taken steps to try to curtail the financial damage to just this season, to make sure that at the end of the day, all right, we only made 75 cents. That means I'm going to take 37 and a half cents and you're going to take 37 and a half cents. That is what they're trying to do right now. And the reason that is important, and I know, again, I tried to simplify it, but the reason that's important is if the NBA is 100% focused on protecting the integrity of next season, if it basically is saying, we don't want two seasons to be damaged by this, we don't want to have this season be shortened and compromised. And next season be shortened and compromised, that creates the backstop that is going to force their hand on a decision. Because if the NBA made finishing this year the number one factor for them, they could finish it whenever. They could finish it in October, November, and December and start the following season in, in February or March. They could do it. But if they're determined to start next season on time, all of a sudden you're going to have that line that happens probably in September where you can't cross it. And then things are going to get squeezed. You know, if you look at what What's happened in the Premier League in England? Well, they have a completely different scenario than the NBA. They have £760 million, you know, uh, approaching a billion dollars in TV money that they can't get. If they don't play those games, (laughs) um, they're going to play those games. If they can't play those games until the fall, they're going to play them because they don't get their money. The NBA TV contract is a little bit different where I think there's a good chance they're going to get their money. And so one of the things that's eventually, I think, going to happen is the NBA is going to have to weigh how much are we going to twist ourselves in a pretzel to get this season in before we may just say, forget about it. Let's move on and try to have a healthy 2020, 2021.
4: You mentioned unintended consequences, and those can be both positive and negative. Uh, you know, potential number one overall pick Jalen Green is now expected to enter the NBA G League pathway program uh, and not go to college for a one-and-done year. The G League and the WNBA, specifically, two leagues who the TV contracts are not going to give maybe an incentive to get games happening. What are the potential ramifications for those two leagues?
2: Man, I have no idea what's going to happen with the WNBA. That's going to be a real... Complicated situation in the and you know there's there would be a lot of excitement on the WNBA. We just actually had a really good year. There's been a new uh, CBA for that league. There's a lot of excitement there. And then uh, Sabrina Inescu was going to go to the New York Liberty, big market team. I think that's going to happen. I don't. I'm not an expert on the WNBA, but you know you have you know your most exciting draft pick in a long time heading to your biggest market team. This was going to be a great year for the WNBA. I just don't know what's going to happen, and I don't know. How that's all going to play out. I'll tell you one thing, though. If the WNBA can get going, it would be like the best thing that could ever happen for them because their desire for basketball, especially if, if the NBA can't get it together, would be huge. And as for the G League, uh, you know, the coronavirus may end up benefiting the G League because – I don't know if Jalen Green I, – I, I don't know enough about this story. Um, I'm just beginning to understand it. But from what I understand, there was a strong belief that he was probably going to go to Australia and – the fact that there's all this uncertainty because of the virus, I think may have helped him choose the G League. And I don't know what will happen, but this could be a seminal moment in for the future of the G League and the future of college basketball that the NBA may end up benefiting from you know a, a silver lining in this coronavirus situation. I don't know enough about that, but I find it potentially a huge moment.
4: And lastly, before we let you go, and thank you so much. You've been so good on this topic and so good with your time. Around... March 11th and 12th, when you know Rudy Gobert is testing positive and the league is shutting down, a lot of people around the world, never mind North America, really stood up and said, okay, maybe we need to take this issue a bit more serious. And the NBA has been given credit on being a leader on this issue as they have in many other social issues but they were still hoping to play games before that, and they still were not <laughs> listening to some recommendations yes. on terms of playing games with fans. They they only stopped playing games in front of people until they were forced to. Could the league have taken actions sooner?
2: I mean, I guess, but I mean, um, uh, yes, I, I am in agreement with you. Like The NBA has gotten a lot of credit, but there was no choice. They happened to have the first player test positive. They had to. They had to shut down. There was no negotiation. And that night, obviously, there were games being played with fans in the arenas, even though at least one of their teams, the Warriors, was already knowing that they were going to play without fans. So I do not think the NBA was ahead of the curve. I think the Indian Wells Tennis Tournament was ahead of the curve. I think the Ivy League was ahead of the curve. Uh, I think those leagues can be said. That said, I have to say that as I've talked to people across the NBA spectrum, whether it's the players, whether it's management, whether it's the referees, they have extreme belief in Adam Silver. He has earned their trust and he has negotiated the league. He's taken the league through some crises already. And they believe that he did a great job in, in showing leadership in that situation. And you talked earlier, we talked about whether or not everybody can get on the same page about an agreement to form a, a way to come back. I don't know if they can, but Adam Silver is the right man at the right time to try to forge that agreement because he has the maybe the highest approval rating of a commissioner that I can ever remember in my lifetime. And he's going to have to take it out for a drive and leverage it to try to get the NBA back. And so, um, yeah, I'm going to stop short of, uh, of giving him credit for being ahead of the game. But I certainly think he could be a leader in responsibly handling the situation, even if the responsible decision at some point is to say that we can't play.
4: Brian, it has been a bizarre and tough season from Zion Williamson's injury to Steph Curry and Kevin Durant barely playing to the untimely deaths of David Stern and the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. And now a global pandemic shutting down the league for now. Anyways, you've been there covering it all for ESPN at Winhorse. ESPN is the handle on Twitter. It's a great follow as is all your work as a two-time best-selling author. Thank you so much for your perspective and hopefully we can talk to you on Sports on Pause about games coming back in the future. Thank you very much. I
2: appreciate it.
0: Well we certainly appreciate Brian Windhorse's time, his information, and his really impressive reporting on this. And Donovan, the um, there are a lot of things that Windhorse discussed with us that were interesting to me, but I think the most interesting takeaway for me is how important China is in our findings of what is next for us and what the road ahead might be for the NBA, because they are really serving that league. The Chinese Basketball Association is really serving as a real life laboratory as to how the NBA should approach all these contingency plans and all these possibilities. And once again, at the core, what so much of this comes down to is testing and mass testing. And can you get enough tests to ensure that these players and the personnel can be healthy?
4: Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, the operative word is laboratory, is it not? And getting those tests, the NBA is working with a lab in Illinois to get rapid testing. When you use China as an example for our society or the NBA at large, it's tough to use them as a con because they've been able to, one, have massive testing, and two, They've been able to use draconian measures to make sure that people comply. Both of those things are not certainly the case right now in North America. Uh, There has been some great reporting on this very issue uh, in North America. Richard, uh, give us uh, your last word. What have you been interested in this week?
0: You know, there has been. And again, I I continue to uh, recommend the work of Donald G. McNeil of The New York Times and Edward Young of The Atlantic, who I feel like are the two reporters who far and away, you must read when it comes to COVID-19. But I do want to give a shout out to the organization Conquer COVID-19. And you've seen Haley Wickenheiser, a part of that, that's a grassroots organization helping to supply healthcare workers with PPE and supplies to treat patients. Head to their website, conquercovid19.ca, conquercovid19.ca, and see how you might want to be a part of this organization.
4: Yeah, it's one of the positives that there have been so much goodwill uh, and people willing to help coming out of this. And certainly Haley Winkanheiser and Ryan Reynolds are, are up there. Actually, one of the things I wanted to point out to people today is because there is so many negative stories or stories that are not the most uplifting Twitter moments, they have a random act of kindness moment. So you can take a look and scroll through and see what people are doing for other people. So that might be a little bit uplifting when everything we consume has been relatively negative. And I do agree the New York Times has done some great work. And if you don't really have the stomach to sit through a 3000 word paper, they actually have a nice 3D simulation, which shows why social distancing is important it's actually crazy to physically see how far respiratory droplets can spread and i guarantee you after watching it it will impact the way you socially distance yourself via social media we have seen that you have been consuming this podcast so thank you for that thank you for all the health workers and first responders and essential workers who continue to do work on our behalf we thank you for that and if you want to interact with us the producer the man extraordinary who is bringing this to you every week is amal delich at Delich on twitter is his follow richard dice you already followed but that is richard and it's Dice the way it sounds d-e-i-t s-c-h i am at donovan bennett with two n's in donovan And most importantly, we want you to stay safe, take care of yourself and others. But our friends at Sportsnet 590, The Fan, the lead off morning show, they spoke to Dr. Renee Kesse, who worked with CCM on creating full face shields. And they had an interesting conversation with him. So this week, we leave you with that.
1: I built a very rudimentary first prototype in my garage, literally in my garage with medical materials that I had access to in my clinic. And uh, my wife I heard from a friend that CCM was looking for a valuable initiative to contribute to. So I gave him a call and they, CCM really blew me away with their willingness to, 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 to help out in this project. I first talked to uh, Alex Bissanet, who is who's the, the, the manager there at their St. John location. And within hours, literally within hours, I was with their team at their uh, at St. John, uh, designing way. They brought in a couple of designers, um, and it was it was immediately a very good fit. You know, these guys are they focus on extreme pe- uh, precision. They they built uh, this location only builds equipment for, for pro players like uh, you know Sidney Crosby, yveshkin Carey Price. These guys were unbelievable. Like they just they took the projects so to to answer your question i talked to them on monday morning monday at noon that was 2 weeks ago monday at noon i was in their factory they'd brought in people that weren't working the factory was closed down and they had a, a team of designers there and we just they said we're not leaving here to, you know today until we have a first working prototype so they laughed at my prototype a bit, which was, which was fine. Hmm. And we started designing away and uh, we worked for a couple of days. And um, on the second day that we were there, I left with the first prototype for the lab, the hospital lab. It went, ex- it went very, very quickly. Uh, during testing, we realized we, you know, there, there's a bunch of things we needed to fix. It wasn't perfect at the beginning. And... I would come back, like I would drive from the hospital back to their factory, they'd call back the team in and start working. You know, it was like every single day, seven days a week. And they, they just pushed this project through They were absolutely amazing.